Hey, this is Josh from iFanboy.com, and this is another episode of Talksplode, iFanboy's new interview show where we talk to comic book creators about creating comics. That seems very simple. Ron and myself got together and spoke with Rick Remender for a good long while about uh, a lot of the books that Rick's got going on, Fear Agent, Gigantic, End League, Punisher War Journal. There's a lot of books is what I'm saying. And there's a lot of interview here, so we might as well get right to it. People in Fantown craziness. This is comic book talking on the computer. How about that? <laughs> That's awesome. We are here with Rick Remender. And uh, Rick, what is it about comics? You left a fairly successful career in animation and then you decided to do comics. So, what is it about the siren song of the panels? Well, I think that I think everybody's um, got the same answer, and it's the creative freedom that it offers. I mean, even when you have the restraints of, um, you know, of the continuity-based books and, and things like a Marvel and, or DC book where you've got characters that can only do X, Y, and Z, or there, there are, are restraints, even those restraints don't come anywhere near to the, uh, you know, the S&M bondage outfit that is most other forms of, you know, um, entertainment work, be it video games or animation. Since you've been doing this, what do you think... I mean, what have you, like, how, how are you better at doing comics? Like, what have you learned about doing comics since you've sort of been working in this full time? Like, are you, have you learned more about the art and the way that it works? Sure. Well, sure. And I mean, I think that I, I often, you know, I started off, I guess, you know, my, my dream was that I wanted to be a writer. And um, I, it, it, it's a practicality. Uh, you know, I, I was, I've also always been an artist. Um, and when I was 20, uh, years old, Fox Animation opened up a studio Don, with Don Bluth in Phoenix, where I was, uh, where I'd grown up. And so I started a career. I was hired, um, which was, you know, a great opportunity. And I started my career as an artist, which um, I focused on for a good six, seven years before I got back into writing full time. And geez, I mean, I've worn almost every hat at this point, having done um, storyboards at Electronic Arts and and um, and, and written, uh, you know, a hundred something you know books at this point and um oh you keep you keep count you totally keep count don't you you know the exact number 127 <laughs> comic books you've got them all you've got, wonderful. you've got every cover up on your wall in your office i know how it is rick <laughs> it's a shrine to myself a masturbatory wonderful cave where i am the master and my cats are my subjects <laughs> Yeah. Do you guys do um, that? Like when you all like hang out, like all comic guys hang out together, you're like, well, so-and-so has done 350 books and no, that no, fraction's I, I, an I, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've only done 87 and I've done 102. I'm a better writer. I do think there's something to be said. The only reason that quantity even comes into place is because you learn with every book. You learn when it's done and, and, and the printed version is delivered to you. You learn, you you know, if you if you have time to ever give something that you've written uh, a reread, or you know, once it shows up, if you scan it, you see things that like really make you happy, and you see reveals and turns, and you know, um, you know, dialogue bits and basic structure things that you're really happy with, and then conversely, you see just as many things that you're like, you know, what, there's a better way to do this, and so you know, the only reason that the quantity even comes into into, into effect is I think that if you're doing it right, every book you draw or or write, you should be getting better. Um, mm-hmm. ideally anyway, but uh, yeah, I, so, I mean, going back to the question as for like how much I've learned, I think quite a bit. I think that being, um, being involved in all of the different facets of, of, uh, story, you know, storytelling in, um, 
in connection with animation and, and video games and comic books. Um, I understand what can and can't be done on a page and pacing things and, you know, natural story inclination. You ha if you don't have a natural story instinct, you're not going to be able to, to write very well to begin with. Um, but having, having done all of this, and especially, um, you know, the quantity uh, that I, like I just mentioned, that I force myself, to, you know, because I'm, I'm incapable of turning work down or having any sort of a normal human schedule. <laughs> um, well, you know, it's like, what was it um, Ed Burns said? And I'm, or it was one of the guys from The Wire who had worked in, at the Baltimore. Um, I was thinking of the actor. I was like, he's not going to have anything important to say. Oh, no, the writer. Oh, yeah. No, the, uh, and I might be misquoting the guy, but the idea that he got across in an interview that I saw was that um, from working in, you know, newspaper reporters are often end up becoming the best writers because they're forced to move through so many, you know, articles and they're moved to, you know, they're forced to write so many words every day that you don't get the luxury of, of pampering yourself and, you know, which is often a sort of a fear-based um, boundary. You sort of you're, you're you're subconsciously afraid of something, and so you hesitate. And that's why everybody's like, "I've been working on this project for five years." You're like, "Yeah, we'll get it the fuck finished." <laughs> you know, uh, the faster you're forced to move through things, uh, and without without the ability to sit back and you know um, and pamper it. I mean, like on most things uh, in comic books, you write your script, you give it a couple polishes, it goes off to art, it comes back. Um, once it's lettered, you have an opportunity to maybe polish it once or twice and tweak the dialogue and, and shift balloons around. And after that, it has to go to print. So you don't get to you know sit there and, and obsess over every single you know every single beat of every single line of dialogue. But and it, it it does force you, and you learn you learn a lot. You learn quickly. And um, I think in the past three or four years, like I look back on some of the things I wrote four years ago, and you see so many flaws. You know, I think structurally more than anything, um, I think I've always had a, a pretty good ear for dialogue. But structure is something that um, now that I'm learning more about it and uh, and focusing on it and studying it, I think that uh, looking back, I'm that's probably where I get the most sort of like, wow, you know, I, I really am growing. I really am, you know, getting getting better at this. What, is there is there like a thing specifically that you look back at sort of the first few things you wrote that you saw yourself doing a lot that you don't do now or that you're aware of? Um, specifically, um, well, there, there's a lot of different things. You know, there's so many. You're juggling. You know, uh, you're juggling so many balls. Literally, balling. You're keeping so many plates spinning. Let's go with that analogy. Um, and, and when you're writing a story, there's so many things to keep in mind. Um, Giving the reader a chance to look around the world, you know, um, is really important. Like in Dolan Creature, for example, which was uh, the first book that I ever wrote, and that was like 99, 2000, uh, that I didn't have a co-writer. I just wrote the thing by myself. Uh, I, I looked back on that uh, not too long ago and realized that, um, that, that there's never really an opportunity for the reader to look around what, what, at this world. I set them in this world where religion is illegal. And, um, you know, the, the, the left has become the mainstream and the right is, is in the underground and, you know, up is down and everything's topsy-turvy. But the, um, the reader's never really given an opportunity. And, you know, and, and I'm not, you know, shitting on the book. I think it still holds up fairly well. Go buy it. But uh, <laughs> there, are some, there are some flaws in, in, in the structure mostly, I think, more than anything else. Um, not having your structure laid out, not having that solid foundation figured out before you start working, um, which I had the basic story written, but not not even ten percent as much as I do these days in advance. Mm -hmm. It leads to things like 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 the beginning has a chase sequence and this opening action sequence that takes uh, twenty eight pages. 
but then some of the character development stuff is rushed because I didn't plot out exactly what would take how long. I just started going like, oh, and then this happens, and then the building blows up, and then the monsters come out of the gutter. And you kind of, um, I think as you mature, you, you realize that, in, in A, you, you'll remove a lot of the anxiety that comes from writing if you do the prep, if you have your work done ahead of time, if your homework is laid out. Um, and B, the product is better. You know, the beats that every beat gets an equal amount of time, or if a beat needs a certain amount of time, if a, if a story point needs a certain amount of time, you're not forced to cram it because you didn't plot your, you know, your, your beats out and, and, and figure out the space. So I think that kind of stuff, there's a lot of, um, just a lot of juvenile mistakes in the past that when I look back on some of that stuff, um, on the more serious things, I think a book like, um, like Blackheart Billy, which was supposed to be free form and fun and goofy, um, holds up perfectly it's exactly you know what we intended it to be and there is no um you know traditional structure the story is supposed to be just you know um good fun and uh that by the way is has been has been colored recently Ooh, um, really it got colored it has been colored and i remastered it not george lucas remastered <laughs> but i mean, I mean change the ending like yeah Right. <laughs> yes. Black Heart shoots shoots Greedo. <laughs> He's heart of gold, Billy. Now, <laughs> at one point when yes. he falls off a skateboard, he goes, "No!" <laughs> <laughs> at the very end, yes. yeah. <laughs> um, no, but that's cool though, because I have the black and white version of it, and I, lo- I love that book. And that was one of the ones I was wondering if you were ever going to go back to. I couldn't. Yeah, we've been working really hard on it for six months now with colorist Kevin Cross, who I've I've pulled in from the the world of skateboard uh, graphics. He worked for Deluxe Ooh, nice. for a long time, and uh, he's amazing. And I needed somebody who got the sensibility. He's uh, he was in a lot of East Bay bands like Pitch Black, and uh, with Jesse Michaels of Op Ivy, he was in Ooh. Big Rig and a couple other things. So he's you know I... we lived together. We were old buddies, and he's uh, he's great for this. And he's gone through and colored. All hundred and all hundred and thirty pages of the, all the miscellaneous Blackheart Billy stories that were ever done, and IDW is putting that out in October. It's already off the print. And awesome. Brand new uh, Kieran Dwyer cover, and man, yeah, seeing that thing colored and getting the opportunity to fix all the little mistakes. Um, I love that book. I, I really hope people will go out and give it a shot. Cool. Yeah, no, I was a big fan of it, and you could tell him that I totally have the Big Rig seven inch that came out like in ninety three or ninety four. Nice. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the, you remember the black and white one with the heart and the the, the truck on the cover? Yeah, look yeah, up, look yeah, up for that. Yeah, 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 I got that. Michael's art on the front. Yeah, well, yeah. Kevin started that band. And anyway, so yeah, I'm, I've, I, now he's color, he's coloring the uh, the Devil's Do thing. I'm writing on uh, based on the toy line, the core. So I've I've roped him and and now he's uh, now he's firmly planted in the world of comic books. The poor the poor bastard. Cool. So you're writing something for uh, Devil's Do. Um. Yeah. Yeah. They they've taken a, a toy line called the Core and uh, the you know, at first it was like, well, you know, a toy line. But then when they said you can do whatever you want, I was like, okay, all right, yeah. I mean, getting, uh, you know, the core like like Marine Corps or the core of the Earth. The core like Marine Corps, yeah. Like there's a line of toys, and I you might have seen them uh, in in Walmart's. And uh, I, I don't, I don't ever go in toy aisles. That's ridiculous. I'm a grown man. <laughs> Well, in Walgreens too. When you're on when you're on your when you're on your way to get your 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 shampoo to get rid of the uh, the, the crabs and whatnot, uh, you may, maybe you've taken the toy line through the Walgreens, the, the toy line of shame, so you didn't have to essentially make eye contact. With you know, this, this, you know, the I'm, topical scabies treatment is just down that aisle. So yeah, nothing to do with the scabies or the crabs, but I still walk down the toy aisle in Walgreens and those things. I just look, you know, oh, yeah. proudly. I do yeah. too. Why not? I like yeah. to see what the kids are up to. Yeah, exactly. So, see what, and, uh, what variation of Star Wars figure I don't have. 
Right, right. There you go. So, well, I don't it just know. got awkward, Ron. You no, just no, I'm sorry. Back away. Back away from the microphone. <laughs> back away. Uh, yeah, so anyway, the core, is, the core is a line of toys that were that started off about 20 years ago as sort of a, a faux G.I. Joe thing. And um, they've developed since, and they've become, uh, because their price point's cheaper and they're basically the same, they've, they've, they sell a metric ton of the things. And, um, you know, at first I took a military team, and I was like, yeah, yeah. But then it's like you can do whatever you want, and that kind of freedom is like if you could if you could do a GI Joe style book with no restraints and yeah. and, and make it more PG thirteen, um, yeah, that's interesting. And that's why I've gotten into it, and we've already gotten underway. The first issue, second issue, we're done, and um, yeah. Are you going to do a silent issue for issue twenty nine, and then in the one twenties uh, killer? Uh, only if I can get Mike Zek and, and John Baby to draw it. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, it would, but Mike Zek will never do comic pages. No. <laughs> Sadly, so anyway, so so back to the whole comic business thing. Um, at, at some point, you drew a line in the sand. And you said you're going to do comics. Like you were doing comics while you had a day job, right? Yeah, I was. I had been at Fox Animation for about two years when I recognized that the you know, and I, I think that it might stem. It, it's not entirely stemming from ego, um, but there's a bit of there's a bit of ego in there where. I feel, you know, I felt like at the time, and I was wrong, that I had a lot of great stories. Um, and now I've wasted a lot of people's time trying to prove that for years. Uh, self-deprecation. <laughs> yeah. But we, we, we don't I, I, did, it. I did, you know, it's one of those things where you're reading comic books as a big, you know, I've always been a comic book, you know, fan. And it was actually Dan Klaus and Evan Dorkin and the new movement and in, in, uh, what was going on with Duncan Fergretto and, and Milligan mm. and all those guys at Vertigo that got me inspired to do comics because frankly at the time um let's face it you know we're talking 1993 1994 1995 you know um that era superhero books sucked balls yeah Um, they had awesome covers that were foil (laughs) yeah yeah it was a garbage dump you know they had they had uh they had comics that you opened up and you would you hear a foreigner song if you opened on page (laughs) (laughs) yeah the comics were bad. Were bad. So I found I, you know, around ninety two. I think Tank Girl was my my first uh, nice entrance into the underground. And you know, growing up as a as a as a, as a punker and, and as a you know in that scene as a kid, that was sort of a natural to find out. Like even at the time, to see somebody who was saying things that I was thinking, like Evan Dorkin was doing, you know, strips in various magazines that led me to Dork and Milk and Cheese and Hectic Planet and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that inspired me. It's the same way that other people were inspired, like every single punk band was inspired by the Ramones. You know, you see somebody doing something that's like, you know, um, like I think when I read Cloud, Dan Klaus's The Velvet Glove, Cast and Iron, I was like, well, this is like a David Lynch movie that I love, and mixed with this and that. And um, so for a while there, I tried very hard to copy, uh, you know, Klaus and, and Dorkin and... Uh, and recognize that, like, I kept going fantastical, like, too fantastical, like, my, 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 my superhero roots, my, you know, my, my pulp comic book roots sort of always crept in there. And I, I like to think that I've found a middle ground between the two in my work, um, you know, uh, up to present, where I've managed to do both. But anyway, working in animation, I didn't have an opportunity. I wanted to be doing this full time. You know, my brain has always spit out ideas you know every every day i get like six new ideas and that i have to like filter through like no no no, well okay maybe and it was happening even even more rapid fire back then because i wasn't a drug addict um (laughs) the speed hadn't really taken hold of you yet right (laughs) yeah it hadn't it the the heroin really slows down the upper the higher brain and it's wonderful if you haven't tried it they can't get it away from me i've i love it um but the uh, 
the experience of, of working in animation was it was frustrating because you're you're working Sorry. on something for years to perpetuate like uh, you know maybe four minutes of animation on something that you might not even give a shit about. Did I care about Anastasia? You know, fuck no, I didn't care about Anastasia. It turns out my wife loved the movie, and when I met her, I had something to talk to her about, and um, nice I, score. I got up, I got up all in that shit, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're, so you know, yeah, making I'm making the living, and everybody thinks that I'm doing great. And like, oh, you're working at Fox, you know, Rocky, oh, you're doing great. And like, yeah, you know, it's nice. I got a car, and I'm making money. But it ultimately, it was like, look, I don't want to look back on a lifetime of moving around lines. Uh, I, I don't want to be in a situation where I was part of a team of 500 people to make some pappy, you know, piece of shit animated show or any of that stuff. And Look, I mean, you know, that's just my opinion. It, you know, it, it, some people can, can do that and they enjoy it. For me, I, I want to tell stories that are personal. Like if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, you know, I got like 25 graphic novels I wrote. And, and those are mine and I did them how I wanted and I'm really proud 25 of them. graphic novels, 127 issues. Okay, we got it. We see the 127. 25 graphic, I, don't, it's, I don't know if it's actually 25 <laughs> graphic novels. I really don't. Whatever, so, you have a fact sheet. Someone will go count it. But, but, it's so, because, but, it's but, because but, I'm sitting on a throne made of them right now. <laughs> 25 makes me valid. I'm valid. <laughs> but so, but so, so yeah. So you say you you, know, you want to do this, but it's and, and I know because we talk to a lot of a lot of fans, a lot of a lot of creators who are up and coming who are struggling with that. Well, I want to make comics, but I don't have the time and all that kind of stuff. And you talked earlier about how the more you did it, the more you learned from it. So you know, is you know, like how hard was it to draw that line in the sand? And say I'm just going to make comics now and make that my living, or can you, can you become a comic creator without doing that? Without what can you become without, a comic without, without, without saying I'm quitting my job and I'm going to do comics now? Like well, his- I didn't. No, what I did, what I did when I was, I stayed at Fox. I created the first two or three issues of Captain Dingleberry with some friends. Um, nice, classic. And, uh, <laughs> we, uh, you know, uh, basically, I thought that like Captain Dingleberry was my attempt to take what I liked. You know, like it'll be like this from the underground, but mixing in superhero stuff. It was a total. It was a, you know, there's some funny stuff in there, I guess, but it was mostly a misfire. Um, but the, the idea behind it was like, look, whatever the idea was, and, and uh, you know, it was just one of these things where we were doing Captain Dingleberry sketches, me and Harper and Rory and some of my buddies at Fox. Um, we were doing Captain Dingleberry sketches at our lunch break uh, because it would help us not want to shoot ourselves in the head from you know, animating Anastasia's you know, blush effect or whatever we were doing that week. And... Uh, and it just got to the point where it's like, you know, Sir Richard Pumpeloaf is, you know, he captures people, he turns them into bread, gingerbread men, and he rapes them. And if you, if you let that idea go to waste, then the whole world is going to collapse. Um, I think we're both in shock from that idea. <laughs> you blew That's my mind. how powerful that idea was. <laughs> so Richard Pumpeloaf is a Frank Zappa song, and that was Harper's idea. And we came up with Sack Warrior of Chode, and that's in Blackheart Billy. He also he yep. started in Captain Dingleberry. He, uh, he has nuts made of, uh, made of titanium and a sack made of silly putty, and he uses it like Thor's hammer, and he hits people with it. It wasn't like, obviously, it's ridiculous, and that was the idea. How did you end up on Booster Gold? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sack Warrior of Chode is, is going to make a guest, a guest appearance in issue 14, by the way. <laughs> nice. Um, well, but I love all that stuff. And the, that's the point I was getting at with this, is that, like, um, we, were, we were doing these books, and it just became clear to me that, like, look, I'm, I'm, I want to do this. I want to get good at this. And I think that anybody, you don't have to just quit your day job. For me, it was something where I did a couple of the issues before I left Fox, 
we had a couple in the can, and issue one of Captain Dingleberry sold 5,000 copies or something, which to us was like, you know, it's a black and white book that we self-published. Wow. We're like, we're going we're gonna to do great, and off we went. Um, and we did like eight issues of the thing. You know, we just, just me and Harper and Rory sitting in, you know, Harper and I quit, Rory kept his job, and we did eight issues. And once you do that much, you get the bug. And this is a point where, you know, we were co-writing it, co-penciling it, co-inking it, co-doing the zipatones is when you still cut zipatone out with film and, a, and an exacto knife to get any, you know, tones on there because, you know, in 1997, 98, you know, your computer could barely handle an email. Um, <laughs> and so, so we did all that stuff by hand, and it was the DIY spirit. It was like, hey, we're just buddies making a comic because we want to. And, uh, you know, we got tired of it. It was juvenile. We had fun with it. And um, I re- you know, moved to San Francisco, and Kieran and I started doing Blackheart Billy. And from there, um, you know, I, I've, I just started doing more and more books. I think that the, uh, for me, the road, you know, was a long, longer one because I was also jumping back and forth between day jobs. Um, I think that I, I think it was Brian Vaughn or somebody had a line about comic books is like a castle and uh, no two people sneak in the same way. So yes. um, whenever whenever there's anybody who's looking for a piece of advice on how to get into comics, the only advice I have is just shut the fuck up and make a lot of comic books because you know I made a I made a metric ton of graphic novels that didn't make me a dime. Um, I was working a full time job storyboarding at Electronic Arts while I was penciling Man with the Screaming Brain um, at Dark Horse, while I was writing Nightmare at IDW, Sea of Red at Image, Fear Agent at Image, and Strange Girl at Image. I was working, um, and I did that for years. I worked like an animal just to make it all work. And if you want, if you want it, that's maybe what you have to do. Some people don't. Some people do one book, and it, it, it's astounding, and it takes off, um, and, and they're hired to make a bunch of money. My road was one of tenacity, where I had to just put my head down and go, "Look, I'm going to make the books I want to make. I'm going to I'm going to do the very best I can to keep them on going, which is also a, a very difficult task, opposed to just doing a four or five issue mini. Um, and here, I, you know, a couple four or five years later, I've got, you know, Fear Agent mentioned towards issue 25, and you know, we did 20 issues of Strange Girl and blah blah blah. Man- managed to get a couple few good runs of these has, things done. Has it only been 25 issues of Fear Agent? It feels like well, more. Was, I mean, like no, no. I mean, it, I, I realize there's only what like three trades or whatever, but still, it. The fourth trade came out two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and there's the and then we've got the tales of the fear agent trade. So there's five right. trades, and then we've got um, the next tales of the fear agent trade coming out. So there's a good you know there's a good quantity of stuff there. But yeah, yeah. there was a big break between the jump between Image and Dark Horse, and then um, you know let's be frank, uh, Jerome and and Tony both amazing. Um, you know Tony can be late sometimes with pages and uh, no I, I know shocking I know. shocking <laughs> and, no, but the book lags in, in its scheduling and people get upset about that i understand but i mean my options are to what you know to say hey tony you have to take off and then the last three issues of the arc are drawn by somebody else you know in the case of the hatchet job we brought in kieran dwyer to help out um to do breakdowns for jerome Pena, but the book still looked the same and kieran's amazing so it didn't yeah. it didn't hurt but um, I, I don't know. For me, it's like I'd rather look back in a year and have eye against eye be all of Tony Moore and it shipped late and some people were bummed out that it didn't come out as frequently as it could have um, mm. than have you know thrown in three or four other guys to help bang it out just to make the monthly. But, you know, that's sort of the prerogative of the creator-owned on this stuff. And it does, it does hurt the sales and it does, it does hurt the confidence with the retailers. But um, 
Tony can work at the speed he can work at, and that's that's what it is. Well, it's, it seems like it seems like with uh, with Fury and specifically, you guys have you've been trying to figure out how to crack the code of you know a successful creator on comic book be it you know doing a you know having it be an ongoing but having the arcs clearly delineated no it's like part one of six and then have that easily be identifiable to collect it in a trade or having the artists you know swap arcs you know which i assume is a is a is a way to allow the artists to get the work done somewhat ahead of time is that is that the case or am i just reading way too much no, I mean, you're yeah. obviously doing you're doing everything you can like look hmm. nobody we're past the days like when you want to work with somebody who's as talented as jerome Pena or tony moore those guys aren't going to hit 22 pages a month, um, at, you know, all the time. Now, Jerome is is much closer these days than than Tony, but Tony's also juggling a few projects, I think, right. at once. The um, the reality comes down to like, look, you know, from the from the get go, um, you know, Tony isn't comfortable trying to do, you know, X Y and more, more than X amount of pages a month, and he knows that. And so, you know, he's we had a conversation about it, and, and he said, like, we we should probably consider uh, alternating art teams. And uh, for a time there, it was going to be Corey Walker, and then, and then Corey couldn't do it. And uh, fortunately, in my time teaching at the Academy um, of Art University in San Francisco, uh, I came into contact with um, the, the sketchbooks of Jerome Pena and a studio mate of mine at the time knew him and, and put us in touch, and Jerome hopped on. Um, and it's kind of perfect. If you get two guys like Tony and Jerome, two A-list badasses, to switch off every four and five issues, you can keep a, a fairly regular schedule while keeping the book looking, you know, really sharp. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was a, that was definitely something that we, you know, had set out to do, and it's and it's worked for the most part. Um, oh yeah, no, it's, thing- it's totally worked. I think. I mean, it's it's great. So. I mean, we, you've, you've read us gush about it on ifanboy.com and we, you know, like we're, I think, I think it allows the artists to, it, it gives you enough of, they're, it's, they're similar enough to be it familiar, but different enough to make it interesting with each arc. So. Sure. Yeah. And I, and I think that, it, yeah, and they both bring different things that are, that are great to the book. And as for the, um, we, when we moved to Dark Horse, we did, uh, Last Goodbye. If you look on the inside front cover, it says issue, you know, 12, uh, in a, in a series and 13 and 14 and et cetera. But on the cover, it just had the miniseries numbering. I thought that would be enough so people knew where it fell in continuity. You know, so people who had bought the first 11 uh, issues at Image or the first two trades would go, oh, they would open the inside front cover and see this is issue 13. But we got a lot of mail from people who didn't know. They're like, well, it goes back to when he was on Earth, and I don't know where it falls. And I realized that, like, you know, just because I know the story like the back of my hand, I need to clarify these things. And you had two, you had two types of systems. You had the Hellboy BPRD, where everything is told in a series of minis, and then you have ongoing. And I was, you know, it seemed like an easy choice to, to, uh, to me and, and, and Dave and everybody at Dark Horse. Why not do both? Why not tell them, hey, this is issue 17 ongoing. It's issue one of six in the new arc. And um, it's, it's worked out great. We had, you know, we had some, you know, upset retailers at the beginning um, because there was a solicitation snafu, which I totally, I totally understand. I mean, you know, I've retailed as well. I managed the store for two, three years. I know. I know that any sort of uh, any a sort lot of, of jobs. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm like a. I'm. I, I spent a. Uh, I spent uh, ten years as a hobo moving. <laughs> I was crab fishing in Alaska. <laughs> the whole time I was dreaming up Booster Gold arcs. Right. Yeah. Instead of painting a fence, I'd be like, "You need those comics bags embroidered in price? I can grade silver and gold." <laughs> um, and I did it all for a biscuit. <laughs> Delish, <laughs> delicious. But anyway, yeah. So I mean, and that was that was a you know, it's it. Look, it's a risk. We realized it was a risk. We, you know, because you know, the, the, there's a lot of anal retentive collectors who are like, no, I don't know what happened. 
Like, you know what happened. You know, like, the inside ongoing numbering is now also on the cover with the mini numbering. And the nice thing is, though, that I've had more people come up to me, like fans, readers at shows and via email, tell me, this is great, because I love BPRD, but sometimes I'll miss, a, you know, I'll miss going to the shop for three months, and I don't know what arc falls where in continuity. And, um, you know, like, I, I obviously think, like, well, you could, you know, look online for two seconds or look at the spine of the trades and figure that out. But I think that this this kind of this kind of gives you the best of both worlds. Do you when when you're writing for either of those artists, do you sort of tailor the story for that artist, or like, or if you come up with an idea, do you think this would be better for Jerome to do? This would be better for Tony to do? I um, I don't know. Do I tailor? I know that what, I know that Jerome was doing such great work on on the beginning of Hatchet Job that I started getting frustrated. I, I would come up with these intricate, crazy scenarios that nobody should be able to illustrate in a comic book page in five panels, where Heath is riding a goldfish, tur- does a Rockford, flies towards another goldfish, jumps from one goldfish onto the other goldfish, knocks the dude off the other goldfish, turns around just in time to realize he's about to go smack dab into a, into a tree, jumps over the branch, grabs a vine, spins around, and then relands back on, on the goldfish of one of the other enemies. <laughs> and I was like, ah, "You're fucked." Okay, there you go, buddy. Because like, yeah, you know, yeah, no way, no way. Can you draw that? And I, I honestly think in the back of my head, I was setting him up to like go. There's no way you can do that. That's too hard. But man, he not only did it, but it's one of the best sequences in any book I've ever done. It's funny because you just described it, and I were I was remembering it. You actually described the actual scene. You weren't making that up. No, that's an actual scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> And yeah, and, Jer- and Jerome, and that's right after he fights the giant, the giant flower that, that yep. he ate his buddy. Um, uh, you know, if you take enough acid and and, and shoot enough uh, PCP into your eyeballs, and you can do that, you can get liquid PCP now. I know, I know, everybody's like, oh, you got to smoke it. Fuck that, shoot it into your eye. You get high. <laughs> that's hardcore. And that's really what it's all about. <laughs> all yeah. of this is just window dressing. Yeah, I that. mean. Later. I figured I, I read I read a few things that Grant Morrison wrote about you know his his dabbling with drugs and I was already you know heavily into the drug culture <laughs> and just said to myself fuck it you know what you wanna you wanna uh, you wanna go crazy let's go crazy. <laughs> I don't even know I was gonna make some sort of you know Americans do it harder that but I couldn't even do it so it's just <laughs> no yeah and, and we do so in issue exactly twelve. I was like, oh, you think you're so great. And P.S., he is so great. We love him. I was actually just looking at the, uh, have you guys seen the, the Superman 3D? I did, yeah. I haven't, I haven't read it, but I was just looking through it. Man, that Doug Mankey and Christian Alleney, what a team, huh? The, the, the 3D was actually uh, alarmingly effective. It's great. No, yeah, yeah, norm- normally when I see 3D, I go, oh, come on, whatever. But it was like, whoa, that's, this is actually pretty good. So Yeah. Yeah, this is and these guys are the best. I mean, come on, Grant Morrison, yeah. Doug Mankey, and Christian Alamy. It's like three of the best guys in comics. I can't wait. Yeah, totally in their wheelhouse. It's good. It's, it's a good issue. So. All right, but back to Fear Agent. So, so you've got you you've got Grant this. Morris. We can if you want. Apparently, he went to Alpha Centauri. I want to talk about me. So you've got a book like Fear Agent. I mean, like. How do you how do you as a creator go about promoting that book if you don't have I mean you don't have a ton of resources for doing it and and obviously it's really important to keep that alive like what is it that you do as a creator to make sure that people know about it 
I, I, there's nothing, you know what? I mean, I, for a long time, I dedicated my every Sunday of every week to doing, um, inter, you know, internet stuff, where I would do an interview with somebody or write an article for for Newsarama or something to to keep pounding away at it, and it, it makes no difference. I mean, I do, I still do the viral marketing. I focus on the people who enjoy the stuff. I don't try to convert people who don't. I don't have the energy for it. Um, you know, the people who read Fear Agent really respond to it, and they seem to love it. And that's all we could ask. You know, do we, do we need three or 4,000 more readers on the monthly book? Yeah. Are we going to get them? No. It's not going to happen. You look at Casanova, Fear Agent, Scalped, Criminal, those four books, and I hate to throw one of my own books in there because it sounds, you know, I guess it sounds a little bit, a little bit arrogant, but I like no, I mean, it. I mean, it's like a good it. book, but it's no scalp, let's be honest. <laughs> Uh, how dare you? I will take that. I will take Jason Aaron on in a fight. He thinks he's an Alabama corn snake with that sweet goatee. I'll beat his ass and his, with, a, with a typewriter, a giant old school typewriter. He's, he's, that would really know, be Jason, the classic way to do it. He's an old Birchwood. You know, Jason Aaron's not even a not even a dude. He doesn't. He has two sets of woman's genitals in his pants. Oh, God. What do you think about a writer who has two sets of? It's, it comes out in the pages of Scalp. I think you could see if you read in between the panels. So it that's clearly yeah, dual vagina work. I, 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 only, I, I only bring up Scalp because I do think it's brilliant. I think that it's, it, and it's also completely unique, like Casanova and like, and like Criminal in comics and like Fear Agent. Um, you know, hard-boiled crime, sort of psychedelic, fun spy action. Um, you know, uh, I, think, I, guess, I, guess, I guess Criminal and Scalp are both sort of hard-boiled crime. Um, yeah. and, then, and then, you know... Uh, Science, you know, science fiction, horror, war, western, whatever fear agent is this month. Is that how you describe it? This, this, this science fiction, horror, war, pulp. Because <laughs> I don't, you know, well, that's the, you know, I, I, I you know, there's, there's, there's the commerce side of my brain, which I have my, my log line and my pitch, you know, yeah. um, I, and I have also got the other part where it's like, um, if you can, if you can, if you can boil it down to, to it, you know, to a sentence, you're, you're missing the heart of the thing. Um, nice. I don't know. Anyway. the the, the thing I was getting out of those, the numbers on all those books range from, you know, 5,000 to, you know, 14,000. Obviously, criminal selling, you know, uh, double than the rest. But the fact that criminal, you know, it doesn't sell 50,000. And the fact that Scalps doesn't sell 50,000. And, and Casanova and Fear Agent, it, 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 and they're not going to. You have to, uh, we've all come to kind of come to terms. That, like, you know, we've got plans to try and, and cross-promote and do things where, you know, I've talked with Jason and Matt about trying to get our, our fans to jump from one to the other. And, and it's worked a, a little bit. But the industry is what it is right now, and that that you know the trades do great. We've sold fifteen, fourteen thousand, you know, Fear Agent uh, Volume Ones and ten Volume Twos and you know five Volume Threes, and it's only been out for a little while. The trades the trades do great. The same with Scalp and, and Casanova, and, and the trades help keep the books alive, basically. But um, there's not you know there's no amount of promotion like how how I go about keeping people aware of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just do, I just do the the book the best I the best I can and uh, mention it when I talk to people. But anything else, I don't know if there's anything that I can say to somebody, given that I'm the writer. This book I made is so good. And <laughs> you know what's good? My book. Come read it. Everybody likes my book. You know what I mean, though? When you read people self-promoting, you're like, hey, man, I get you got to self-promote. And I fuck, I've done a ton of it. But it's kind of you, sucky. It's kind but of a you're sucky. doing it right now. <laughs> but but I'm pretending that I'm not. This is this is the ploy. I really wish you wouldn't have said that. <laughs> we pull the curtain back. That's what we do. Um, but 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 it's, it's a little a, fat man playing with himself. 
<laughs> but it, but it's interesting because you know Fear Agent Fear Agent is creator owned, right? You own you you own every piece of it, right? I assume, or, or do you share ownership with, with Tony and Jerome, or? Yeah, well, Tony and I, uh, Tony and I and Jerome all have all have ownership stake and, and back end stake. Yeah, cool. I, yeah. So so it's a creator owned book, but you are published by Dark Horse, which is you know one of the smaller publishers, but it's the biggest of the smallest publishers. So as a yeah. you know, like there's got to be some level of you know onus on them to promote the book as well because they're in it too, right? So, yeah, and they have. I mean, like yeah. you know, when the new arc came out, they do ban it. Well, what can they do? You know, it kind of like what what avenues does a publisher and a creator and who's doing a creator own book have to to get out get the word out these days? You know, I mean, that that's that's really the mm. the question. No, I mean, like you know, Dark Horse got us the cover of previews for Fear Agent and Last Goodbye. We had a double page ad so, uh, soliciting all four trades and the new um, um, uh, Eye Against Eye arc with a variant sketch, Tony Moore cover. I mean. At a certain point, you realize that there's just nothing you can do. You just make your book. You know, I uh, I've met, fortunately it's it's one of those books that's that's loved by enough people, and and Dark Horse has has you know uh, really put their money where their mouth is to keep supporting it, um, to keep the book alive. And uh, but sales wise, until until a big movie is announced or something, at which point we might get a 30 Days of Night boost. Um, I don't think that we can do anything. I think we just make a really good comic book that we sit back and go, hey, you know what? I, it, it, I'm really proud of this, and that's all you get. Right. Is, that book, is that book secure for the time being? Like, um, is- it, it's, gonna go, it's definitely going to make it to issue 32. Beyond that, I don't know. Beyond so, that, we... So what issue, point, what, what issue are we on now? Uh, 20, let's see, Tony's uh, 24 is at the printer. Tony's working on 25. Okay, so there, then, there's still there's still a couple of months of ordering in there because I'm going to be very selfish now and everyone needs to buy it because I want to read it beyond issue 32. So, <laughs> you know, so like it's it's not in the, like, oh, well, you know, da, da, da. it's it's a it's it's one of, I mean, we, it, Josh picked that's it as a pick of the week a couple of weeks ago, right? I mean, I'm not that's alone. That's really why we're talking to you because we yeah. want more people to read the book yeah, so exactly. that we don't lose it. And, and look, guys, I mean, like, the, you know, if, if you bring on 200, 300 new, new, new readers, that's so helpful. You don't know. And I, yeah. I appreciate the fact that you guys not only, you know, enjoy the enjoy the comic book, but you actively go out and promote it. And I know that, you know. I know it has an effect. I mean, it's, well, it's it's just other ways that we're awesome. Um, <laughs> we, have a, we have a video <laughs> show that everyone should throat. watch. <laughs> no, but but the I mean, but what I think is just interesting about Fear Agent is that to, testament to it is that you know at least from our point of view, you know, Josh Connor and myself, you know, we all like comics. We're all very good friends. Very rarely do we have a comic that crosses over all three circles in the Venn diagram. And Fear Agent is one of the few that does it, and that that was what made me stop and look because wait a minute, like I like it, he likes it, he likes it, we never agree. So either something's really wrong about the book, or something's really right about it. <laughs> well, that's nice to hear. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate it. It means a lot to me, and you know, it's it's nice to read nice things about your work. A lot of the time, we all have you know rules about not checking out reviews online, and so for the most part, we try not to. It's because even you know, if there's a theory that even if you accept if you accept the good, you also have to accept the bad, and it's all sort of anecdotal. You know, it's all sort of it's all perspective, it's all people's opinions. You know, and ultimately, if you if you ingest that, you can start even subconsciously pandering or changing your work to fit the mold of some reviewer who has a blog who might be, uh, you know, um, you know, seven thousand pound, uh, you know. Jeez. Sweaty half wit from you know Flampington Rack and Zackle in um, <laughs> an imaginary ville you know uh, backwoods USA. I don't know, but I mean 
the, the point of, that I'm getting at is that um, you know you, you work in a you work in a vacuum. You get no feedback, and so when you know you guys you guys have a, have a great great podcast and great reviews, and when when people you actually respect who are doing a lot of uh, a lot to you know further and promote the comics they enjoy, have something nice to say. It, it, it's nice. So do so do you really? I mean, do you really try to avoid reading anything online about about your books, or? Yeah, I, I, I go to great lengths. I, I slip. You know, it's 3 a.m. sometimes. And just You're drunk, and it's just... Accidentally <laughs> Google fear, agent review. <laughs> I, you know, sure, you do the ego search. How do you not? Because, like, you know, it feeds into the to the vacuum. You know, your friends read the books, you know, to help you out with scripts. Like, we all share scripts and bounce ideas around and, and, and try and, you know, give each other sounding boards. But at some point... You're 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 putting all this time and energy into a comic that you feel good about. It goes out into the world, and you know there might be four or five reviews or you know ten reviews out there online, and it, it does itch at you sometimes to find out what they what did what do those people think? Right. And, um, you know you slip and you'll read it, and you know it's it's funny because you'll read seven good great reviews, glowing paragraphs of you know what what you did right, and you're like yeah 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 uh, yeah okay, and then you'll hit that one where it's like you know some broken English you know. <laughs> I think this comic misses, you know, it's, 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 the review makes no valid points that you agree with, and it's vitriolic, and it's snide, and it's the kind of people you don't really care if they like the book or not, but somehow, that's the one that sticks with you, (laughs) you know, like, so, so it's better to just not do it. Well, I mean, it, I mean, showing the—I I definitely couldn't showing the restraint to you know to not have a Google alert set to your name and go off and be checking it every five minutes. Like I, I, you know, I've got respect if you're able to hold back from that. So <laughs> I still, I still got. Look, I'm not going to lie. I got a Google alert. It still pops up, <laughs> and, and occasionally I'll scan. That's well, that's I, you know, that's actually the only thing that I do do regularly is it'll scan and say you know there's. 17 new things about the end league and i'll go yeah and i'll scan them and go all right better than you know whatever good 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 bad bad good bad good bad bad good good okay well well, speaking of the end league um (laughs) good good segue there thanks rick um so so the the most recent issue just came out uh last week with uh and had split art between um uh the uh, the previous penciler matt matt and eric kennedy yeah and then eric kennedy did his first sequence and i've got issue five kennedy's first issue went to print this week and I will, um, I'll send you guys some JPEGs and you can put them up on the site because it's cool. fucking astounding. I mean, if you read the book in the past and didn't dig it, if you do dig the book, either way, it, as of issue five, this, this thing is, uh, is A-list. It's as good as, as good as I can make a comic. And working with somebody like Kennedy, who is an absolute genius, basically left, left his job on, um, on Ben 10 at Cartoon Network uh, uh-huh. and to, to come do this. And he has been pouring himself into it and, Man, issue five. I put my name behind that. I couldn't be prouder of anything I've worked on. Yeah, so, I mean, so up to this point, with the first arc kind of behind you, or whatever. Have you been? I mean, are you satisfied with the end league experience so far? Do you, or are you? You know, obviously you're excited to work with Eric Kennedy to move on, but that first arc was a little rocky. It was a little rocky, yeah. uh, in, in, in a few places. Um, you know, what do I do? Do I start going into like you know um, no. the process and how how it broke down and potentially didn't work? Yeah. I think that. Uh, I think that what it serves as is a really great setup for what's coming. And, yeah. you know, beyond that, um, I'm still proud of it. I still think that there's, there's good stuff in there. But I think ultimately what, what, that, what that first trade will do, what I hope it will do, is serve as a, really nice, as a really nice setup for what's coming with Eric and I. You gelled really well with Eric Gwynn, and you're going to work with him again on a new book called Gigantic? Yes. Yeah, yeah, just got the uh, got the second cover in from him, which is phenomenal. And uh, uh, now I haven't heard I haven't heard about this project at all. So so tell me about it. 
Well, it's built off of the standpoint of, um, <clears throat> or from the, the the idea that Earth was created as a uh, giant reality television show, <laughs> and um, humans were were um, were also uh, were built by committee uh, by, the, by by executives in the UBC, the Universal uh, Broadcast Company, um, and because you know we're we're, per, we're just smart enough to make fancy weapons and we're just savage and dumb enough to use them and so uh, and and you know we, every bit of our personalities comes down to uh, to drama and conflict and uh, we've been perfectly we've been perfectly uh, built to 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 make to, you know make good television and based on that idea I came up with um you know this character who is uh, part of another uh, he's a f- former human who uh, was was abducted and taken off because Earth is such a popular show. They would abduct humans who were popular um, to go have their own shows. And this guy was was abducted and he was uh, he was uh, uh, turned into a gladiator in in these these extravagant uh, you know ultimate fighting style uh, arenas that the uh, that is a, another very popular show. And eventually escapes and wants to return to Earth to to tell everybody to break free of what's going on. There's invisible cameras everywhere, you know, like right now around your room. There's 15 invisible, tiny little UFOs filming you. And you have your own channel that one of you know 1,700 trillion aliens could be watching. Um, and he wants to break Earth free. He thinks it's a travesty and an ugly thing. And when he arrives on Earth, um, what ha- he basically has the power to grow. Um, the character, and he wears this armor, this organic armor that's bonded to him. And as he as he absorbs kinetic energy, he grows bigger and bigger. And when he hits a certain a certain size, he basically discharges the energy in a mass explosion. So he'll grow to like sixty, seventy feet, and then boom, blow up, and then revert back down to ten feet, which is which is a kind of a pain in the ass power. It works really well if you're in an arena and you're fighting a bunch of guys, and as you grow and grow and grow, you eventually have your your critical mass and and, and detonate, and then they have to deal with that. Um, so now it sounds like I'm playing D and D. If you roll your arm, <laughs> it kind of did. <laughs> well, first of all, if you're fighting in the arena, <laughs> but this is but this is the fun. This is hopefully what I'm what I'm achieving in in, in the comics is is a mix between something that's got a a hooky idea that might not be necessarily standard mainstream fare and something that does dial into a kid who grew up on superhero books playing Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Um, so who's who's publishing it? Oh, that's Dark Horse. Okay, cool. Awesome. And it's it's an ongoing That is uh well, we're going to do that one BPRD style because we don't know Eric is uh Eric is in demand and my schedule is is filling as well. So what we're going to do is the first arc is a self-contained story that leaves things wide open for the next and then we'll get to that once our schedules are open and just do it sort of, you know, do a mini-series whenever we can come back and do it. Cool. And when's that out? Uh, first issue is November. Enough with all your artsy-fartsy indie books. Uh, yeah. People really want to know about The Punisher from what I understand. People? That's, I guess. I, that's apparently what the kids are into is The Punisher. I, know, I don't know. But, but you're, you're, are you, you co-writing with Matt Fraction now? And And – when did co-writing become the in thing to do for the big Marvel books? It is so hip. It's scary. It is so hip. It's scary. Well, you know, uh, I think you get a better a, a better book a lot of the times out of it. And in the case of Jigsaw, I think that uh, I was really proud of what Matt and I did. I think we had a um, we had a big story, and it it it, it worked out well. I think Chaykin did a great job on it. Um, <clears throat> it's also some you know two heads are often better than one. And Matt and I are good friends, and we write really well together, so it made sense. And the same with him and Ed and. 
in a lot of cases, it's like, um, look, we all use our writer friends as sounding boards anyway. I'm, uh, you know, a, a lot of the time when you're stuck, you call your buddy and you go, hey, so, you know, um, Flim Jim walks into a bar, he's got a shotgun and a dead koala bear. What do I do with the koala bear? And your buddy will maybe have an idea. But as, as for why, I think that it comes down to, you know, it's, it's fun. It's something where I enjoy, I enjoy it. If you're working with somebody who you have stuff in common with, then you're 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 um, you know you're ping ponging ideas back and forth, and you get a, a, a synergy going, and things get exciting. Uh, with a character like the Punisher, though, I mean, like th- that who's been at times really badass and really awesome, and at times a caricature of himself. Yeah. You know, like so so I, I mean, did you did you you know ten years ago where you're like I'm going to write Punisher War Journal someday? Or like... Well, you know what? I actually, that first Punisher miniseries with Mike Zeck was one of my absolute favorite things as a kid. And I mean, I was at the age where when the first, when the first uh, Grant and, and Zeck and Beatty miniseries came out, the Punisher was always this peripheral sort of guy who was just around to shoot at a brown person and have Spider-Man or Daredevil kick his ass. Yep. You know, that was, that was his job. Um, and at this point, all of a sudden, this mini comes out and... Um, it's. I had never given a shit about the character. I was like twelve or thirteen when it came out, and it's got. The, it's got this guy with two giant handguns being thrown back into a bunch of trash in a dilapidated alley from the thrust of just blasting at what at something. It, and it's like such a captivating image that you have to know more. And as it turns out, the, that first issue is astounding. It's great. You know, it's the Punisher in jail, surviving in jail with people trying to kill him. He's got no weapons. He's got none of his arsenal. He has to escape the jail. Jigsaw's in jail. I mean, it's it's uh, it's good comic books. I really was a big fan of it. Um, I can't attest to that, to, you know, to everything thereafter. Um, there were there were some some shining moments, and I read all the the microchip stuff with uh, you know, I, I read the um, the Klaus Jansen stuff, uh, and, and yeah, there was a lot of good good stuff to be mined from all of that. I think, like everybody says, there's no bad character. There's just bad writers, you know. You can find some a good way to take any type of, if you know, you have a character who's described as X, Y, and Z, um, you know, if you're any good, you can find a way to make that work. And the Punisher is challenging because he, at the end of the day, is a murderer. He's he kills people, but he's also like a for he's 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 a perfect force of nature. He's pure in 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 his motivations at the same time, um, and getting into a character's headspace where you know. He's he's black or white, you know. He's almost like Rorschach. He's like the the, the, the you know um, the the perfect Anne Rand sort of you know fountainhead character, where you know if you're good or bad, and if you're bad, I'm I'm going to kill you. You know, <laughs> he's he's kind of crazy. He's broken. Like his, the death of his family hit a switch, and now he just goes around and because there's an endless supply of criminals out there, he's going to go kill them all. And that's Frank Castle. And I think at that point it comes down to figuring out what situations you put him in that test those limits and test the sort of integrity of his mission as well as the inherent sort of flaws in it and, and, and how he reacts to seeing those. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest, and you just blew my mind by comparing the Punisher to Ayn Rand. <laughs> because I'm a, I'm an Ayn Rand fan, and and it's you're totally right. I'd never thought of it that way, and that's that's it's wow, wow. I'm impressed. That was the only way I could get my head in, in, into it, and I think that one thing that Matt and I wanted to do as well is you know there's little moments in the jigsaw thing that um, it's interesting to me that if it's not it's not just straight up action or shit happening, 
that people there there had been some people and again this is my assholeness checking a review online who are upset that you got to see a day in the life of Frank um, when he's going out to buy the Tiger Ball. Uh, Frank takes Tiger Ball powder. Come on, and, you know he's dealing with he's dealing with the Patton Oswalt and Brian Posehn pair who who run the uh, run the little uh, little hop shop down on the street. But um, for me, that's what I really want to see more of that. I, I mean, I know that you want to get into gunfights, but I also want to see how this guy lives. The guy who lives in his van and murders people he considers criminals, like, that actually is pretty interesting. Like, what's okay, he, so no what's wife, he doing no other 20 hours of the day? Right, right. you work out, you, you, you know, it's kind of like he's in his own prison. The world is Frank's prison, and he doesn't allow himself any contact. And that was the other great thing about what, what I really felt strong about the Jigsaw arc that we did is that you see... Anybody who's connected to Frank, the guy he buys the Tiger Ball powder from, anyone Frank has contact with, if that's ever seen by the wrong people, that person's going to die. So Frank is like a walking, he is, that skull on his chest is, is, is symbolic for a lot of different things. And um, it's going to be really interesting in, in, in the coming stuff that, that we have coming up in, in Secret Invasion and then beyond um, to sort of explore those for me. Right. I mean, because the Punisher as a character, I mean, uh, we've talked about it a lot on the podcast where, like, you know, we've we felt as he's the most – he's one of those characters who's more – who, in our opinion, has been more powerful as a secondary character, as a backup character. Like, when, when he pops up in the in the last page of Daredevil, it's like, oh, shit, Frank's in town, you know, like – but it's, you know, to see the the book that is dedicated to him and what Ennis has been doing in the Max title, I think, is different than what you and Fraction have been doing in War Journal, but I think are both good executions of the character, um, exploring different aspects of the idea of this madman. Man, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, and and it's great that that Matt set such a different tone with War Journal, and I'm gonna I'm gonna continue that tone. That look, you can't outdo Garth. You can't do Garth. You know, Garth is Garth, and Garth is doing a Max book with the Punisher, which is perfect. And you know, if you're gonna do Frank in in, in hard boiled crime with you know X rated situations, right. um, that gets to a really uh, it gets to a core of of, of what. You know, ultimately, you like to see Franken where the new film is progressing and where those things go. But the other turn, the left turn, is taking him into a place like the Marvel Universe, where it's a little more fantastic, where you've got people with superpowers and you've got Iron Man flying around and you know potentially Galactus. And I think it was Fraction who said, or maybe it was Axel, somebody I was trying to get my head around Frank, and somebody said, Galactus lands. All Frank thinks is, I need a bigger gun. <laughs> And I liked it. Immediately, I was like, I like Frank Castle. <laughs> Let's go write comics. <laughs> well, it's like, who was talking? I mean, did you, did, were you involved in, and forgive me, there's just so many comics, but um, the Frank, uh, the Punisher Secret Invasion tie-in? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, and... Yeah, and we, just finished the, uh, we just finished 25, which is a double size issue. Right, and, and that seems to be like the best scenario for Frank Castle, right? It, it couldn't be better. I right. mean, because we get to deal with things that have been happening with him, uh, you know, in the last 24 issues. Um, dealing with, with with Clark and dealing with some of the other characters that he's had contact with, like Bridge and some of the other people, um, some of the other cast members, it's all coming to a head. All these these things that Matt has put into motion are taking place, and at the same time, it's in the backdrop of a scroll invasion. So you're running down the street having a confrontation or an altercation with you know with a buddy of yours, and all of a sudden there's a scroll sniper from you know a mile down the road, you know picking people off. Um, there's, we got to create our own super scroll. You know, when we got to a point in the story where it made natural sense, where we realized, you know, based on how the scrolls are operating, the scrolls can—they've had people on Earth forever, and they're trying to figure out, look, you know, um, how do we just go in, invade, kick ass, and be done with this thing? 
and they would take care of guys, you know, like like Thor, and they would have Super Scrolls for the X Men and all these other big heavy hitters. They would definitely have Super Scrolls as well to take care of street level guys, like mm-hmm. take care of guys like you know Daredevil, Spider Man, Moon Knight, Frank Castle. If you're going to take care of, you know, you got to take care of everybody. And so we got to devise our own Super Scroll, who's a street level guy. This was a Super Scroll who was sent to take care of any like any anybody who might not be like a god level power, but has proven themselves in the past to be somebody to to not be taken, you know, lightly. Cool. That's got to be cool to make your own Super Scroll. I mean, that that's that's kind of a, a yeah. Like, it was like, a blast. You can't use Colossus with <laughs> the Banshee. Because that's been done. <laughs> right. Well, I guess it doesn't matter. I don't know if, I mean, like, I never know if I should give away what the Super Scroll is or leave it for when people buy the book and get the reveal. Save, save it, yeah, save it for the reveal. I mean, we spoil too many things that much, but, you know. Yeah. Um, um, but that's very, very cool. So, awesome. So, um, and, and you're also working, um, you're working for DC. Um, in addition to working for Marvel, the Punisher War Journal, you're doing uh, Booster Gold? I, I'm doing a two-issue arc of Booster Gold where um, Starro... The the uh, every, everybody should know Starro by now. Come on, Starro. Face hugging Starro. starfish. Yep. Love Starro. Starro takes over Rip Hunter and starts going through uh, history and spreading Starro spores everywhere so that he can uh, conquer the world, which is his goal because he's Starro the Conqueror. <laughs> uh, he can conquer the world without having to fight a bunch of uh, superhumans. Nice. He's a lazy conqueror. He's a lazy conqueror. Well, <laughs> nothing else has worked. <laughs> he's been trying for. He's been trying since the first. Since you know the JLA did form to fight him. I mean, he is Starro. It's, it's just. It's he's just tired it's, now. It's, 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 it's uh, the what am I going to do? The Justice League. They fought Starro. Yep. It's, it's a little. It's a bit of nerd trivia there. Come on. Yeah, yeah I remember the cover. Very. They, they made a statue out of that cover as well, too. Oh man, I'm a nerd. How about that? So. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and so that's been a absolute blast my dream team on that was pat olaf and jerry ordway which uh man, those are those are two a-lists you know scientists of uh technical town and the first issue is done and is so gorgeous man pat olaf um with with ordway on top of him inking him is just the perfect team it's perfect 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 i'm a writer it's perfect <laughs> adjective adjective yeah, and that's a ton of fun. We get to basically explore um, a past and a future that have been taken over by Starro and, uh, you know, and all of the different sort of problems that are caused by Booster solving one and, and uh, you know, time travel is complicated stuff, but, man, I love it. I love writing time travel stories. Yeah, time travel. I mean, the, the, why I love I love Booster Gold. I'm, I'm more of a Marvel guy than a DC guy, but I love Booster Gold. This incarnation, because to, to me, it's like Quantum Leap in the DC universe, which is a blast. So. Yeah, that's a that may, it's a perfect hook. Yeah. I mean, what 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 the, what the Jeffs came up with is for their hook. I mean, um, it, it it couldn't be better. It's basically a guy who has to go through time fixing all of the damage you know caused by all the crises crises that have been happening over you know, the last whatever twenty years, yeah, twenty or well, yeah, and and he has to fix all of these in small infinitesimal little problems that are caused and big ones and and all the things that he has to learn about you know the, how things work in the time stream which. Is nice to see defined in the DC universe, and um, he has to still be considered a buffoon and a and a and a you know and a giant egotistical jerk by everybody. So he's basically saving the universe, and everyone thinks he's a douchebag. <laughs> so it doesn't really feel so much like you you're cleaning up Jeff Johns's mess as in as if he left you all of this stuff to to work with, I guess. You know, 
it, it wasn't a mess at all. I think that he, what he did was he set up a perfect comic book. Right. You know, you've got you've got Rip Hunter who's the who's in charge of things, and he's got a lot of secrets, and he's a time master. He knows what's going on. Um, I'm in, I'm I'm put I'm bringing in uh, the Kronoses, Lady Kronos, who um, I introduced in in my Adam run, and, and Kronos himself, um, another couple time masters who get involved in this thing. Um, it's great because you think about all those all the time travel characters in the DC universe, and now there's a book where they all kind of they all kind of naturally plug in. So it was it was two of the most fun issues I've ever written. You're all over the place with this stuff. Like none of these projects that we've talked about sound anything alike, and like you're doing almost like what are opposite books at Marvel and DC in DC. I mean, Booster Gold is yeah. as far from Punisher War Journal. It's steep, and like steeped in continuity. Of, steeped in continuity. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean. Are you, how do you avoid being typecast like that? Because you seem to be doing a really good job with it. You, I think, just do a lot of different books. I mean, coming up from creator own, you have an opportunity to define yourself. Um, and I, I think that I've managed to define myself um, as somebody who likes all kinds of genres. And, I, you know, when people say, I don't like science fiction, I go, guess what, stupid superheroes? That's just science fiction. <laughs> that fucking, that oh. fucking guy you're reading, the atomic guy who lifts buildings? Science. <laughs> oh, I mean, I don't like it in space. Oh, but you like Green Lantern? Love Green Lantern. <laughs> but he's a superhero. Well, check it out. You might like science fiction. <laughs> you know? um, I, I, I don't understand. I mean, because it all it, genre is just trappings. It's just it's just a fun it's just a fun dressing to put on a good story. If it's a western or whatever, you know, I mean, you look at. I was reading some screenplay stuff last night, and they were they were comparing the structure of Aaron Brockovich with Gladiator, and it's exactly the same structure. It's exactly the same structure. Everything happens at the same time: the reveals, the the, the twist, wow. the big final push, the conclusions. And a lot of movies are like that. I mean, in, 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 a, in a sense, that foundation becomes formulaic. And I was I was actually just talking with Fraction about this about. You know, do you do you use the formulaic approach, or do we, as comic book guys, because we have freedom, um, you know, completely digress from that? And I, I like to try. I'm, I'm going to try and implement a little bit of a little bit of both. I've I've mostly been going by instinct um, so far, and the more I read about structure, the more I am, the more I'm curious is if I if I did adhere to like let's say a film structure, let's say the structure of Gladiator on, on an arc of Punisher. I'm not saying I'm doing that, but I'm saying it's inter- it's an interesting idea to explore. You know, if you did if you did structure uh, a comic book arc that same way but um you i think that the way you avoid being typecast is just to do a lot of different stuff and hopefully do it well you know i mean i started off doing mostly horror books and a skate punk comic book you know <laughs> <laughs> sea of red and dawn creature definitely you know sort of like blade runner meets meets horror in, in one and pirates and vampires in the other and then from there you just Explore doing stuff that you dig, I guess. So, you know? so, so you came up, you came up doing creator on work, and and this uh, the big two com- company work has kind of has been within the past year or so of, of actually working for Marvel and DC, um, with all the brouhaha around creator on work and you know and Robert Kirkman and all that kind of stuff. I mean, like you know, are are you, like are you trying to you know are you trying to prove Kirkman wrong, or where where do you net out on this whole kind of debate? Oh man. Um. <laughs> I've, I've, I, I take the fifth. I, I remain silent. I, you know, Robert, Robert's great. He's had a, he's had a, a, a wonderful, uh, um, oh, I don't want to say luck. He writes good books, you know, uh, the walking dead here's, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's lightning in a bottle with any of this stuff. Well, you know, our Peter, our Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman, um, 
going to sit around and say, hey, I made a jillion dollars off the turtles. You should, too. And people mm-hmm. are like, well, I, I don't know if that happens to everybody who does a creator-owned book. Um, I think Robert's intentions are, are, are good, and they're in the right place. He thinks that, you know, and he makes... Obviously, I don't disagree with him. It's a valid point. Everybody should do creator-owned books. Should they, right now, march out of their Marvel and DC jobs? I think Dave Sim had the formula down. Dave Sim said, um, start doing... Write your book, get, get a five-issue thing written, and then do one page a week. It's a little extra work. You know, find me eight hours a week to do one page a week, and this is for artists... This is for writers who could draw their own stuff. I guess for writers, you'd have to find somebody to draw it for you. But the point being is if you do a page a day, you do four pages a month, within a year you've got two issues done. Um, Check my math on that. But the the basic idea being that you slowly do it over a build, and then you put out your creator-owned book. There are ways to do both. Are you going to to go off and and become a a super millionaire? Um, Chances are you're not. But that's not really why you should be doing it in the first place, you know. Um, the difficulty comes in doing something that's pure, that's how you want to do it. Like Strange Girl, I knew, I knew, you know, like, look, I'm, I'm trying to mix Tank Girl and Preacher and Road Warrior uh, in, in, in tone. I know that that is a limited audience, and I'm doing something that's theological in tone. And um, no matter what sort of a centrist position I try and take on this, where I'm just examining, you know, some theological issues through the course of an action-adventure book... Um, that's going to be a difficult sell to a lot of places. Mm. But you do it because you want to do it. You do it because you like the idea. You do it because this gets you excited to write about it. And you don't do it because, you know, if you start pandering, if you start thinking solely in terms of what's going to sell, which I'm not going to lie, I've done, um, you know, but if you think solely in those terms, um, you're not going to be doing anything different than if you were just working on, uh, you know, a a corporate-owned character. And so ultimately, the, the middle ground is the best, you know? You do both. And I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be having more, more fun doing this. If well, my career continues on the path it's on right now for the rest of my life, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be set. Yeah, well, I mean, because there, there's the argument between the, I mean, and putting, you know, Kirkman and anything else that, that aside, I mean, looking purely at it where, you know, Marvel and DC aren't going anywhere. That's a steady job. It's a steady paycheck. But the potential for, I mean, if Fear Agent or the End League gets, you know, picked up for a movie or for anything like that, that's 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 good for you, right? And, and you know, and as opposed to writing a scene that makes it into the fourth Punisher movie that you never see a dime from. Of course, yeah. yeah, of course, but 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 you also have to consider how many creator-owned books actually generate that revenue. Right. Um, the the idea here is that um, you do both. You you put your heart and soul into both. You don't hack out your Marvel or DC work because it's a paycheck. Because right. all you do is you piss off the people who bought the book, and you shit on the editor who hired you, and you shit on the company who's putting money in your pocket. Mm-hmm. You go through and you kill yourself on your creator-owned. You kill yourself. You it, it, and when I say kill yourself, I mean when you're done with it. You know it's the best you could do at the time you're allotted. If you had a week to do it, you know it's the absolute best you can do. If you had to find an extra, uh, pull an all-nighter to tweak, burp, my wife handed me a beer and now I'm burping at you. Um, <laughs> if you have to tweak the dialogue till 5 in the morning to get it to where you want it and, and you know, recover the next day, you do it. You make sure that the, both, of, both, both jobs, you never hack. You give it your all. And you, you, you do both. Unfortunately, the situation comes down to most creator-owned books in this market don't do so well. Mm. 
Well, and then and then how much? I mean, and it's absolutely agreed. You know, and I was talking to Jay Ferber a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about you know he's saying how you do the books for the love of it, and you don't do a book with the hopes to make to turn it into a movie, but you know that's got to be on your mind at some point, right? I mean, that's the, I mean, it's 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 a revenue stream. It's not on my mind. Wow. At okay. all. Interesting. It, what it is is nice if it happens, but right. but. Um, the only book, and I'll be, I'll be, I'll be frank. When Tony and Kieran and I were were, were kicking around Triple X Zombies, that did start off as how do we make some money, <laughs> you know? <laughs> which, which there's going to be news coming up where that's going to be turned into a film, and we're writing a screenplay. Um, the uh, the concept is is a is a laugh, you know, is a goof. You're like it's porn in 1976 it's- during a zombie apocalypse. It's yeah. so exploitative, it's right in your face, though. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's punching it's right you in the face with it. It's like, look, I mean, we have zombies tearing off girls' clothes, and, you know, I mean, it's fucking ridiculous fun. It's fun. Yeah. But that was clearly, I mean, that was a contrivance. I'm not going to mince words on that one. Um, with, the, with the intention of, hey, you know what, this would be a fun movie. This is actually a pretty fun idea. And we gave it everything we had and went as crazy with it as we could. I mean, I don't think you've seen... I don't think you've seen a nun force a kid, uh, you know, <laughs> let her suck his dick at gunpoint anywhere else. I just finally let, purged that from my mind, Rick. I just finally let, got it out last week. Yeah. <laughs> let nuns suck. No, well, I mean, it, it's 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 never going to leave your mind. <laughs> there should be an Eisner for that word balloon. That's be. specific. Let nuns let. suck. Indeed. I actually wrote that as a temporary piece of dialogue, let nuns suck. <laughs> and, then, and, then I was, and, then, and then when I went back, I was like, no, that's... That's correct. <laughs> correct. So, um, so yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was going to say so. So it's it's not on on your mind. But if it happens, then then great. So be it, and you'll reap the benefits from it. I mean, is is the End League has interest, and I that that was a comic book, comic book. The End League right. was inspired by my desire to take and tell the last story, to tell the story that Marvel and DC couldn't with amalgams of characters from both universes. The last story, the last adventure. And it is, you know, right. like that's what this is going to be. And it's not all, it's not all, you know, it's not all bad, what, 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 what's coming up in the story for these guys. But um, I didn't think that had film, that would have film potential at and all. It, and it has? Oh, yeah, yeah, wow. a lot. I mean, like what we have going on, like I, uh, right now I'm writing the film treatment. And, wow. um, you know, uh, it, we'll see where it goes from there. But I, you know, I didn't think anything. Triple X Zombies, we thought would, honestly, we thought it would sell as a comic book. And it was a contrivance that we then went through and had and worked really hard to make a good comic out of. The End League was just a comic book. It was absolutely the furthest from my mind as anything that would ever have film interest. Um, but be- I think because of that, because of the purity of intention on it, it does work. And people respond. Burp. People respond to it. <laughs> it's a good beer, huh? <laughs> What is she? What is she doing to me here? I know. <laughs> loaded. I'm gonna. I'm gonna start telling you dirty comic book secrets. Oh, <laughs> we we arrange to have her ply you with liquors. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we do, Rick. We just follow you around and then supply so, you with drinks. <laughs> so speaking of, let's let's wrap this up with a snor- the story. I'm gonna give you a scenario. Uh, we're eating dinner in Seattle, and we look over and we see Rick Remender sitting at a table with Dan DiDio, and we say to the waiter, "Can you give us?" The fruitiest, most ridiculous-looking drink possible, and deliver it to that man over there. Now, granted, we wanted blue with lots of flowers and stuff, but what you got was was pretty silly. I think it was the fruitiest drink you get for Seattle. I think that was yeah. pretty much what they could do. 
Yeah, they that was that was that was really horrible. You know, I was uh, I was I was talking to them and I was you know talking story stuff about this this new project that I'm going to be writing for them based on a, a Grant Morrison Bible, and um, we're in the middle of this talk and I'm you know I, I don't even remember what it was about, but I remember I was sitting there and I was I was drinking a Jameson and a Guinness and I was like getting all salty and I was like yeah and this with writing you got to get to the core of that and find this, and then this this. <laughs> giant cock of a goblet covered in flowers and parasols and fruit and and, uh, and jism. It just was slid in front of me. And I was like, <laughs> I thought for a second, like, well, who ordered, which one of these guys possibly ordered this ridiculous thing? And he's like, this is for you, sir. And I was like, what? And I look over from those gentlemen. Oh, good. Well, that's fine, you know. I'd fucking hate anyone. I'd fuck you guys. It's cool. <laughs> That was the intention. And that's how I fucked the guys that I fanboy. So you didn't lose the job because of that, because that's really what's been bugging us. That, that was yeah, that was the worry about an hour yeah, afterwards. Yeah, Dan DiDio said, No way and he threw the table over and he threw the drink in my face and he goes, You are a foof and he stormed out. <laughs> Yeah, he, they, everybody got everybody got a good laugh. It was it was very funny. Ian, Ian and Ian and, and Dan both enjoyed your 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 monkey shines. <laughs> you know, we, we we were really like like literally like an hour later, we're like we're laughing about it, and then someone was just like, "Gee, I hope we didn't fuck up his pitch." <laughs> yeah, you're, you, it cuts to the it cuts to you guys somewhere laughing and having a beer, and I'm up in my hotel room in a bathtub cutting my penis with a razor blade, crying baby tears for the job I lost. You had an opportunity to write. I could have written off a Grant Morrison Bible. <laughs> Damn those guys! <laughs> and I'm drinking your fancy little foofy drink. Sip, sip, sip. Cut, cut, cut. Cry for my mom. Cry for my mom. Sip, sip, sip. Masturbate. Cry, cut, drink. Oh well. On that note. <laughs> <laughs> so, is there anything we we didn't get? Anything else you want to plug? Anything else you want to tell people about? Or let me check. Let's go to the plug list. Okay, so we got IDW's Blackheart Billy Color Edition trade paperback coming out in October, not to be missed. We got Booster Gold also launching in October, a two issue arc written by Rick Remender, drawn by Pat Olsen, by Jerry Ordway. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We got what do we got? Fear Agent with Tony Moore. Um, I wish I could tell you who's drawn my first arc of Punisher War Journal. You're gonna love it when you find out. Um, but I'm gonna save. I when I was inking the Avengers, um, I didn't remember. I had been out of comics for about a year, and I didn't. This is back in 2000, 2001. I didn't remember what a big deal the Avengers were, so I sent out an email. Like it was my Blackheart Billy mailing list. I was like, Dear Blackheart Billy fans, Blackheart Billy has a new story in the Fat Records thing, co-written by Fat Mike from No Effects. And also, I'm inking the Avengers. Kieran Dreyer's drawing it. Suck the dick. See ya. <laughs> and it turns out that announcing the new art team on the Avengers, kind of a big deal. <laughs> yes? Yes? Kind of a big deal. Kind of. Don't, it, not, not, something you want, not something you want to haphazardly do, say, like, I don't know, a month before the new artist has drawn anything. And the last thing he did was LCD, lowest comic denominator. <laughs> so Kieran, <laughs> Kieran got an earful, and then... And then it came down to, yeah, they weren't, they, so what I do now is keep my mouth the fuck shut. But anyway, so yeah, Punisher War Journal, I'm going to be doing that. Fraction and I still have a couple, three, four issues coming out with Chaken. Um, got Gigantic at Dark Horse. We got the End League. We got the Fear Agent. 
We got uh, some other secret, top secret stuff at DC. Uh, we got Ooh. the court that we'll do. And, uh, so, so, so when do you sleep? I, I, mean, I don't. I, it's, it's been horrible. I got out today mm-hmm. and I went and bought one of these new, uh, I got a new posturepedic um, um, Herman Miller uh, Aeron chair. Nice. Ooh. Oh, God, it's so wonderful. I could, I could make fuck to this chair right now. <laughs> No, but ser- um, seriously, you're writing, you're doing stuff for Marvel, for DC, for Image, for Dark Horse, for IDW, for Devil's Due. Is there a publisher you're not working with? Hmm. Yes. Yes. Screw those guys. <laughs> boom. Yeah, Boom and Dynamite can suck it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. They're very nice people. Um, <laughs> Uh-oh. Ding dong. That was not it's recommended. Back to the with Razor again. <laughs> No, but seriously, I mean that that's a lot of projects, man. That's that's amazing. Yeah, it's it, it's really gratifying that people want to want to do my silly comic books. It's yeah. nice. <laughs> oh, well, that's a good note. I think we end it there. Uh. <laughs> Thanks once again to Rick Remender for sitting and talking to us for such a long time. If you want more from Rick, you can go to rickremender.com. And if you want more of anything else and you want to go and comment on this show or all the other stuff we have at ifanboy.com, please get over there. And thanks very much. Take